Hello everyone, hope you enjoyed your weekend where you're listening to our last episode about the Vietnam War. Today we're going to talk about People's Temple, Jim Jones and Jonestown. I'm Amanda. And I'm Mimi. And you're listening to History Tellers. <laughs> Born in May 1931 in Indiana, USA, Jim Jones was a notorious cult leader. As the self-proclaimed messiah of the People's Temple, Jones promised his followers utopia if they followed him. On November 18, 1978, in what became known as the Jonestown Massacre, Jones led more than 900 men, women and children to their deaths using cyanide either by injecting it into people or mixing it with a powdered soft drink called Flavor Aid. Others were shot or stabbed, and Jim Jones himself was found with a single bullet wound to the head. Here we asked ourselves the most relevant question. How could a Christian church get so out of hand? Doing research about People's Temple and Jim Jones, you get many surprises. Even as a child, Jones wasn't like all the other children. He was the son of a, of a disabled World War I veteran who had little interest in him. And as his mother was often working, Jones was left to himself. As a result, he developed a need for acknowledgments from others. Even at an early age, Jones finds an interest in visiting the church. And he ends up joining five different ones. As an observant child, he picks up everything he learns at these different houses of worships and starts to preach to the other children in the community. Jones was described as a strong student, especially in public speaking. But he did, however, only have a few friends. His empowering religious charm turned off some, and he, in turn, disliked many typical teenage boys' activities, such as sports, for example and objected what he believed to be sinful behavior, such as dancing or drinking. He wasn't like everyone else, and you could com compare him to Ferdinand. For example, while all the other boys played around, wanting to fight for their country in World War II, Jones was instead mesmerized about how Hitler could control such a large amount of people, only using words and good rhetorics. Informally, Jones began the People's Temple in the 1950s as an independent congregation in Indianapolis. At only 25, he was inspired by the ideal of an equal society that could overcome the evils of racism and poverty. Although Jones was white, he attracted mostly Afro-Americans to the group with his vision of an integrated congregation. For example, Jones and his wife Marceline were the first white couple to adopt an Afro-American child in Indiana, 1961, creating a so-called rainbow family, which later on resulted to be a superficial and tactical act. But in the 1960s, Jones wanted to move his religious group from Indiana to Northern California. You can think that Indianapolis had become a too small arena for him since Jones early became interested in having power. But to persuade his members to leave everything behind and follow him, he warned of a nuclear holocaust in Indiana. More than 100 church members accompanied Jones to California, where they lived in the private small town of Ukiah and Redwood Valley. By the early 70s, Jones had expanded his recruitment efforts. He had started preaching in San Francisco, opening up a bunch of his churches there. 
But until this day, I still can't wrap my head around how one single person could be able to influence more than 100 people to move across the country 5,000 kilometers from home and later on to another continent and country. Who were the members of People's Temple? <laughs> This was during a period of time when Afro-American rights were highly enlightened in the effect of the Vietnam War, where the majority of the people that died also were Afro-American. What made this church so special was that everyone came together despite the color of their skin. There was music and dancing, which made the church described as one filled with joy. Jim Jones' special way of preaching made the whole crowd cheer for him. Everyone was, uh, was singing, it was very alive, it was very up, and, you know, people dancing in the spirit. We were embraced as an interracial couple, and there was a message of inclusivity. There was a message of equality for all people. By followers, he was also described of having a special way of reaching out for your feelings. Some even referred to him as an even better speaker than Martin Luther King Jr. With his trademark dark glasses, suits, and slicked back black hair, Jones was an impressive figure at the pulpit. His fiery rhetorics and remarkable healings continued to draw new members into the fold. The temple implicated a sense of community and belonging, and not only did people fall for his talk of a better life, many also gave away everything they had to Jones. But what they thought was for common good actually ended up in Jones's pocket. The idea of giving everything away seemed, as Amanda mentioned before, as something great. Jones's apostolic socialism was influenced by the Marxist liberation theology that was popular among Latin American clergy at the time. He mixed social concerns with faith healing and enthusiastic worship style drawn from the black church. Jones also invited members to live communally in an effort to realize his utopian ideal. Meanwhile, the church was accused in the press for financial fraud, physical mistreatment of members, and abuse of children in its care. As a part of his teachings, Jones discouraged sex and romantic relationship. He, on the other hand, had several adulterous affairs including one with the church administrator, Carolyn Layton, with whom he had a son. Jones also claimed to be the father of Greenstone's son, John Victor. He was also sought to disrupt familial bonds, identifying himself as the father of all. We earlier mentioned Jones's quite famous healings, which, as many other things, was a tactical act to gain followers. For example, one person was drugged, and they pretended she had broken her leg by putting on a cast on while she was unconscious. Then he healed her, took off the cast, and she could run, which made the whole crowd screaming and clapping with euphoria. One time, a person broke their leg, so they were taken to the hospital and put a cast on. The next service, the name was called and asked if they wanted to walk again. 
woman who's all of a sudden running through the church and everyone's just excited and fathers healed her. But the drugs were not only used for fake healings. As the temple kept getting bigger, Jones developed a misuse of both drugs and alcohol. Jones took amphetamine to gain the energy he needed to be present with only a few hours of sleep and also sleeping pills to actually be able to fall asleep. The swollenness of Jones's eyes is a reason to why he wore the famous sunglasses that he's known for. As a result of the press from the public and the government, Jones bought land in Guyana, a state in northern South America, to develop into a new home for himself and his followers. He had become increasingly paranoid and disturbed by this time, probably because of drugs and confirmation of power, and soon moved to the new People's Temple compound with about 1,000 people. The compound is what we know as Jonestown, and it wasn't any tropical paradise. Jones ran the site like a prison camp. His followers received little food and weren't allowed to leave. All mail and newspapers were censored, and armed guards stood at the compound's perimeter. Jones often preached over the loudspeaker system at Jonestown. Fearful of a plot against him, he started conducting suicide drills. His followers were woken up in the middle of the night. They would receive a cup that they were told contained poison, which they were ordered to drink. After 45 minutes or so, the members were told that they weren't going to die, they had instead passed a loyalty test. Seeing this on a documentary, Jonestown, the suicide sect, was awful, since people were extremely frightened. It now became clear that more people started to doubt the whole idea of the temple. As Mimi described, it was during this period more people got worried about what actually happened to the ones coming down to Jonestown. Grace Stone, a former member of the People's Temple, said she and others who had separated from the group tried to get involved in what they suspected was happening down in Guyana. We were trying to let the government know that people were being held against their will, Stone said. In 1978, concerned relatives and a group of former members persuaded Congress Leo J. Ryan to visit Jonestown. As a result, the observative congressman also opened an inquiry into allegations of torture and sexual abuse within the People's Temple. November 18, 1978, Ryan toured Jonestown with the television crew. He invited anyone who wanted to leave the compound to come with him but his rescue operation didn't go as planned. That afternoon, Ryan, a small group of People's Temple defectors and some visitors, were driven to a small airstrip to return to the United States. For reasons still not completely understood, they were attacked by gunmen sent by Jones. Meanwhile, back at Jonestown, Jones launched what he called his revolutionary suicide campaign. He preached that if enemies would keep them apart, they would together die as a proof of loyalty. Cyanide and Valium were then mixed together into a batch of grape-flowered powdered drink mix, called Flavorade. This to make a toxic punch, which were distributed to the members. The first to die were the children, and those who refused to drink were forced by armed guards. 
In all, more than 918 people lost their lives. And investigators later determined that 907 died from ingesting poison, including nearly 300 children. Jones, on the other hand, shows a different way out. Surrounded by his inner circle, he either shot himself or was shot in the head. There were only 87 individuals who survived the massacre and the shootings at the Port Katima airstrip. How very much I've loved you. How very much I've tried my best to give you a good life. But in spite of all of that I've tried, a handful of our people with their lives have made our life impossible. There's no way to detach ourselves from what's happened today. And we, we are sitting here waiting on a powder keg. It was dead by the greatest of prophets from time immemorial. No man takes my life from me, I lay my life down. If we can't live in peace, then let's die in peace. Leslie Wagner Wilson is a survivor of Jonestown. She escaped the morning of the massacre with her three-year-old son. She was 20 years old at the time. Left behind was, among others, her husband, Joe Wilson, mother, Ines Wagner, and a total of 11 relatives and a host of people she had known and loved since the age of 13. Wagner didn't know the morning she kissed her mom, was the last day she would ever see her alive. The day of the massacre, Tim Carter and three others of the temple were ordered by Jones to leave money to the Russians in Georgetown, the capital of Guyana. Some may describe this as a final FU against the United States. But due to this, Carter survived the tragedy of People's Temple, but still lost his whole world to Jim Jones. This is how Carter now describes his feelings after the big tragedy. He murdered my wife, my son, my sister, my niece, my nephew, my brother-in-law, and my sister-in-law. That's how I feel about Jim Jones. Today, Jones' sons who were in Georgetown when the events took place look at it with tragedy and says that they're still trying to find healing and forgiveness for their father and themselves. Jim Jones Jr. says that there are some things about Jonestown that, are, that I'm never going to deal with and I'm okay with that. Stephen Jones says that there were many people that were dear to me and a good number of them that I was very dear to. I often thought about what it must have been like for them, for us not to be there during the mass suicide, you know? And I asked their forgiveness. Following the tragedy at Jonestown, the People's Temple was identified as a cult. And Jones was despicked by the media as the archetype of an evil cult leader. He was even described as a megalomaniac. 
But although numbers of scholaries and popular studies of Jonestown have been written, the effort to understand the group and the tragedy continues. The Jonestown massacre is a horrible example of what could happen with a group like this. The People's Temple was founded in a society of political and social instability, a society built on fear. Very similar to the world we live in right now, if not even worse. And we have to keep in mind that a tragedy like this can easily happen again. <laughs>